Good evening. Ukraine asks Congress for more guns while a heat-stricken Europe gets ready for a deep freeze this winter without Russia's gas supply. Mass shootings. The right and the left go at it in Congress and the trial of Steve Bannon. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. Russian state media says Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov is saying his country's military goals in Ukraine are no longer limited to the eastern Donbass region, but include a number of other territories. Lavrov said in a published interview that when Russia and Ukraine discuss a possible deal to end hostilities in March, our readiness to accept the Ukrainian proposal was based on the geography of March 2022. Lavrov added the geography is different now. It's not only about the DNR and LNR, referring to the so-called Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, Russian-backed entities in Ukraine's east, but also the Kherson region, the Zaporozhizhia region, and a number of other territories, adding this process is continuing consistently and persistently. Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th with the stated goal of demilitarizing and denazifying the country. After failing to capture the capital, Kiev, Russia's defense ministry said on March 25th that the first phase of what Moscow describes as its special military operation was complete and it would now focus on achieving the main goal, the liberation of Donbass. Meanwhile, in Washington, Ukraine's first lady, Olena Zelenska, appealed to United States lawmakers today to provide more help to her country. She referred to the war as Russia's Hunger Games, a reference to a popular TV series with an extremely bloody conclusion. We would have answers if we had air defense systems. In fact, the answer is right here in Washington, D.C. America, unfortunately, knows from its own experience what terrorist attacks are and has always sought to defeat terrorists. Help us to stop this terror against Ukrainians. And this will be our joint great victory in the name of life, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness of every person, every family. This is what I'm asking for and what my husband is asking for, not as a presidential couple, but as parents and children of their parents. And that's Ukraine's first lady, Olena Zelenska. She's the wife of the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. During the speech, she showed videos of children she said have been wounded or killed, including a three-year-old boy now learning to use prosthetic limbs. In related news, the president of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, accused Russia today of using energy as a weapon, adding Europeans would have to cut gas consumption by 15% to build up its supplies for the winter. Today we have 12 member states that are hit by a partial cutoff of Russian gas or a total cutoff of Russian gas supply. And overall the flow of Russian gas is now less than one third to what it used to be, for example, at the same time last year. Russia is blackmailing us. Russia is using energy as a weapon. We have to be proactive. We have to prepare for a potential full disruption of Russian gas. And this is a likely scenario. And that would hit the whole European Union. What is the proposal? We are asking the member states to reduce by 15% the gas consumption. 15% why? This is the equivalent to 45 BCM of gas. 
And with such a reduction, we can make it safely through this winter. In case of a complete disruption of Russian gas, every member state should reuse the use of gas. And our second objective is we provide a safety net for all member states. Although initially voluntary, the commission has the power to make the cut mandatory if the situation warrants the move. Von der Leyen said the 12 EU members have been hit by restricted supply or a total cutoff from Russian gas, accusing Moscow of blackmail. Nevertheless, Russian President Vladimir Putin has stated that gas giant Gazprom will fulfill its obligations. He says Russia has never failed to meet its obligations to provide energy supplies. Meanwhile, Britain shattered its record for the highest temperatures ever registered yesterday amid a heat wave that seared swaths of Europe. As the UK's national weather forecaster says, such highs are now a fact of life in the country. Today, though, the temperature was much better. It seemed to have passed. And as far as the latest reports, it's down to about 70 degrees, quite a change. I'm going to double check those facts later on. I can't believe it changed that much. And at a news conference, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and Joint Chiefs of Staff Chair Mark Milley addressed a recent visit by President Putin to Iran to reportedly get help with drones and other weaponry. Austin said Iran should watch out, while Milley said they expect the war, despite Russian assertions, to just grind on. Iranian support to, uh, to Russia. We would advise Iran to not do that. We think it's a really, really bad idea. Uh, in terms of most likely, though, at this point, and, and this is always subject uh, to, to debate, but at this point, uh, we have a very serious grounding, grind, uh, grinding war of attrition going on in the Donbass. And, and unless there's a breakthrough uh, on either side, uh, which right now the analysts don't think is particularly likely in the near term, uh, but unless there's a breakthrough, it'll probably continue as a grounding war of attrition for a period of time until both sides see an alternative way out of this, perhaps through negotiation or something like that. But uh, right now, in terms of most likely, most dangerous, that's kind of the way we're looking at it. Uh, there's a lot of detail that goes behind that, which I won't comment on uh, at this point in terms of the detail, but that's the broad outline of what we're looking at. General Mark Milley, he's chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, before that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Putin won staunch support from Iran yesterday for his country's military campaign in Ukraine, with Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei saying the West opposes an independent and strong Russia. Khamenei said that if Russia hadn't sent troops into Ukraine, it would have faced an attack from NATO later, a statement that echoed Putin's own rhetoric and reflected increasingly close ties between Moscow and Tehran, as they both face crippling Western sanctions. NATO allies have bolstered their military presence in Eastern Europe and provided Ukraine with weapons to help counter the Russian attack. And Sri Lanka, a new leader with old connections, was elected. Ranil Wickremesinghe elected as Sri Lanka's new president. The former president was driven from power by angry citizens, enraged by a massive decline in living standards, a dysfunctional economy, and corrupt government. Two Sri Lankans outside of parliament in the capital had this to say. Parliamentarians have failed us. They have failed us. Because they have not listened to the people's demands. At this moment, we are not happy at all because he came to the parliament without any vote 
base. He came from the back door to the parliament and he came and protected the Rajapakshas. Now again he's there to protect the Rajapakshas because we say Sri Lanka, we say we don't have dollars to get um, fuel, we don't have dollars to get gas, but we see in the parliament money has spoken at this moment. So we are very sad, very specially, we are very disappointed with the 225 parliament members whom we elected and sent them to the parliament to speak behalf of people, which they have not done it. What they have done was they, they have uh, voted to protect themselves. And that's the report from the streets of Colombo, the capital of the island nation of Sri Lanka. The new president was chosen by lawmakers in parliament to replace Godabaya Rajapaksa, who was pushed out of office last week by protesters who blamed him for the country's economic collapse. Elected with 134 out of 219 valid votes, Wickram Shengi will take over a country deep in crisis. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In Washington, Highland Park, Illinois, Mayor Nancy Rotering. At 10 a.m., my council and I kicked off our parade. Music and cheering were all we could hear as we headed down the street. I looked left and waved to my husband in the crowd. What I didn't know at that moment was that just to my right, on a one-story rooftop, a 21-year-old was preparing to traumatize my hometown forever with an assault weapon. Shortly after, after we proceeded down the parade route, I turned to my colleagues and I questioned why the marching band had stopped playing music and was only playing a drum cadence. Tat, 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 tat. My cell phone buzzed and a shooter on the roof of a local store had shot dozens of rounds into the parade crowd. We were screaming, run, shooter. Adults stared back, not comprehending, but the kids knew immediately this wasn't a drill and they yelled to everybody, run and hide. They knew what was happening. We now know that 22-year-old Cassie Goldstein told her mom Katie to run, but Katie was hit in the chest. And Cassie had to tell her mother she loved her, but she couldn't stop because bullets were still flying. She kept running to safety, hiding behind a garbage can. And when the shooting stopped, Cassie returned to find her mother lifeless. A photo of a teary-eyed toddler clutching a blanket flashed on my phone. Whose child was this? People were hiding in an underground garage, wondering why nobody was looking for this missing child. Later, we learned that it was two-year-old Aiden McCarthy with dried blood on his legs, socks, and his tiger sneaker. He had been found under his father's body and carried to safety. No one was frantically looking for him because both his mother and father had been murdered at the parade. Several of Nicholas Toledo's grandchildren attended his funeral on crutches, gunshot victims themselves. The impact of the gunfire on their grandfather required a closed casket. Sitting with him at the parade, they experienced firsthand the gory effect that this ammunition with this velocity has when hitting a human head. Dr. Keeley Roberts left the hospital immediately after her own major surgery to be with her eight-year-old son, Cooper, whose shredded esophagus, ripped liver, and severed spinal cord continue to threaten his life. His twin brother, Luke, was shot in the leg. Liz Turnipsey's three-year-old daughter was handed to strangers while Liz was rushed to the hospital because a bullet pierced her pelvis. She has shrapnel in her leg and she may never walk unassisted again. Less than a minute is all it took for a person with an assault weapon to shoot 83 rounds into a crowd, forever changing so many lives. And that is the mayor, Nancy Rotering, the mayor of Highland Park, Illinois, describing the aftermath, the effect 
of the shooting that occurred there, the mass shooting, uh, within uh, one minute, basically, it took for all of that to occur. And in Maryland, Larry Hogan snubs the Republican victor in Maryland, escalating Trump's proxy war. Hogan, the term-limited Republican governor, said the former president selfishly colluded with a Democratic group to boost the far-right campaign of Dan Cox. He signaled on Wednesday that he opposed the gubernatorial candidate backed by Trump. His name is Dan Cox, I said, the latest escalation or a proxy war between the term-limited governor and the former president. Hogan, whose exit from office represents one of the best pickup opportunities for Democrats in November, said that Trump selfishly colluded with a Democratic funding group to back the Delo uh, state uh, delegate Dan Cox in a move that could cost Republicans a governorship this fall. Cox was uh, uh, interviewed briefly uh, after the victory was announced. Democrats are afraid, I think. The progressive Democrats see our candidacy as the only one willing to stand up and articulate the values that everyone loves in Maryland. The progressive values of bigger government, of more lockdowns, of vaccine passports, of jabs for jobs, these are out the window in my administration. And that's why I'm reaching out to everyone, every background saying, please join us. We're the candidacy that's going to give you your freedom back. And that is the victor of the Republican primary in the battle for governor of Maryland. Trump was among those who praised the victory, and he also took aim at Hogan just before the race was called, saying, Rhino, Larry Hogan's endorsement doesn't seem to be working out so well for his heavily favored candidate. Next, I'd love to see Larry run for president. And during a press availability at the Justice Department, Attorney General Merrick Garland responded to questions about the political implications of possibly charging former President Donald Trump over the January 6th attack on the Capitol. He had this to say. No person is above the law in this country. I can't say it any more clearly than that. There is nothing in the principles of prosecution and any other factors which prevent us from investigating anyone, anyone who's criminally responsible uh, for, for an, uh, uh, an attempt to undo a democratic election. Merrick Garland is making basically the first statement that he might be open to charging the former president for the events, the attempt to overthrow the government on January 6th, 2021. Meanwhile, one of the most important figures in the campaign of Donald Trump, the man who many say got him elected in the first place in 2016, Steve Bannon, is entering his trial for uh, not turning himself and documents over to the January 6th special select committee that's investigating what happened on January 6th, 2021. His trial entered its second day. The whole thing really started with a statement made on his podcast by Bannon just a day before the assault on the Capitol. That was uh, discussed earlier in an earlier version of, of the January 6th committee hearing. This is that clip that caused all the uproar. The first conversation they had lasted for 11 minutes. Listen to what Mr. Bannon said that day after the first call he had with the president. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's all converging and now we're on, as they say, the point of attack, right? The point of attack tomorrow. I'll tell you this. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen, okay? It's going to be quite extraordinarily different. And all I can say is strap in. 
We know that the president and Mr. Bannon spoke again on the phone that evening. The second call was about six minutes long, and this is what the committee, January 6th committee, which is meeting tomorrow at 8 p.m., prime time, will uh, be attempting to get to the bottom of. But he is now facing charges of – Steve Bannon is facing charges of contempt of Congress, a rare but very serious charge that could get him up to two years in prison. We're going to be talking about that more in a moment. But I wanted to jump to a event that happened, I believe it was today. Troy Niels, a Republican, conservative Republican congressperson from Texas, asked this question to Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, about the competency of President Biden for office. Could you please tell me what that word means? It's this one right here. Mm-hmm. Could you even say the word? Congressman, I'm not in the habit of trying to read transcriptions. I bring this up to you, sir. I bring this up to you on television. because you yourself questioned Donald Trump's mental state of mind in September of 2019 when you stated to CNN, I quote, if our presidency is not in good shape, then our country is not in good shape. And Mr. Secretary, I could not agree with you more. He continued to ask that question about whether uh, there was any discussion by Buttigieg or other members of the president's cabinet or advisors to invoke the 25th Amendment to have the President Biden removed from office for uh, mental instability or inability to carry out his office. That led to Buttigieg trying to answer but not really being allowed to answer. The quote from the president read, America can be defined in a single word and then he had this long 20 or so letter thinking about my foot, them uh, foot, uh, foot. I can't really, excuse me. I, I don't really understand it. I, if I found a clip of it, I'd play it. It seemed to be uh, the president who has suffered and speaks often about his battles with a lisp and uh, his shyness as a young person and how he overcame those to rise to become president. Maybe it's a story of the persistence and perseverance of the president rather than his inability This conservative attack on the democracy and on the Democratic Party has uh, gathered the attention of a former judge who is often a contributor to these airwaves, Bill Blum, a lawyer and, as I said, former judge, retired judge. He has been following the Bannon trial carefully, and he spoke with WBAI about his analysis of what's happening. The DOJ has put on two witnesses today. Kristen Ammerling, who is um, chief counsel to the committee, and now a special FBI agent named Stephen Hart. And Hart is testifying about Bannon's public statements about the J6 committee subpoena. Bannon's only defense now, it seems to me, is that the date for him to testify and produce documents wasn't set in stone and therefore he should not be convicted of contempt of Congress. I think it's a pretty weak argument, but you never can be sure what a jury's going to do. Now, I know what contempt of court is, uh, cursing out a judge, screaming and yelling. What is that, and how is that different from contempt of Congress? Contempt of court, contempt of Congress, what's the difference? Contempt of court is when you are acting out in the courtroom. Uh, This doesn't have to do with that. This is a prosecution brought pursuant to a federal statute that makes it a misdemeanor for a witness who, having been summoned by a congressional committee, refuses 
to testify and refuses to produce documents. So Bannon's done both of those things. So the factual issue would be, did he really refuse? I think he's got a very, very weak case, but that's what um, his lawyers are left with arguing because the judge, who happens to be a very conservative judge, who was appointed by Trump, once clerked for Clarence Thomas, has ruled that claims of executive privilege are irrelevant and that Bannon's 11th hour offer to testify is also irrelevant to this trial because the crime was committed back in October, if it was committed at all. So Bannon has to argue, I really didn't uh, miss the deadlines. Just in the last few weeks before the trial began, he decided he would go in front of the uh, committee and after all and uh, and Donald Trump even wrote a letter saying that he absolves him of executive privilege. Well, it didn't work for a variety of reasons. First of all, Donald Trump never invoked executive privilege on behalf of Bannon, and that was confirmed by recently by way of a letter from one of Trump's attorneys. Second, the material that's sought doesn't concern any communications between Bannon and Trump while Bannon was in the White House. And third, executive privilege wouldn't uh, apply to a plot to overthrow the government, which is illegal. What Bannon wants to persuade at least one juror is that this is a political hit job. What do you think of this defense that he's raising that he's above the law because he was working for the great man? I don't think it's a very strong defense. He was making threats in a way, you know, you'll see what happens when I go in there. Like, it was almost like threats, they'd be marches of MAGA people on the courthouse. I can't read Bannon's mind. I've never met him. I don't know what he's thinking. The likelihood is that he's going to be convicted and that he will do some time in jail. What's the jail sentence in a case like this? If you read the statute, there's a minimum of 30 days that's required. In some cases, long ago, people got probation, but the most recent interpretations of the statute are quite literal and they require a minimum of 30 days incarceration. So he's got two counts. The judge could, if he's convicted on both, he has one count for failing to testify, one count for failing to produce requested documents. So if he's convicted on both, the judge could conceivably run them consecutively and Bannon could get anywhere from a minimum of 60 days to a maximum of two years. Wow. And where would he serve that? Probably in the D.C. detention facility, which is no picnic, although he could be sent elsewhere. We're waiting now to see whether Bannon takes the stand in his own defense. That would be a major step. Maybe he'll use that time to uh, to spill his guts? Maybe he will, but the problem is that this trial isn't being televised and it's not getting the kind of coverage that mm-hmm. someone like that might want. I don't understand what he's doing or why he's doing it because it looks to me legally that he's going to be convicted on both counts. Mm-hmm. Retired Judge Bill Blum, his article, Unequal Justice, Can You Picture Steve Bannon in an Orange drum- Jumpsuit, is in the Progressive Magazine, A Voice for Peace and Social Justice since 1909, and you can find that at uh, theprogressive.com. And 
And that's some of the news for Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. The news is produced Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.